everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Iron City Live Book Club. This is episode two for Book Club. And joining me once again is Roaring Cat. How you doing, guys? Good. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Roar? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, mate. So uh, this month we are uh, going to be reviewing a book called Good Intentions, written by Elliot Kay. And uh, this book was first published back in 2011, came out in June of that year. The, um, the actual physical book is 444 pages. We all listened to the audio version, which was just over 22 hours of listening, uh, which is actually a pretty long book for uh, my normal listens. Uh, so, Kat, you're fairly new with audiobooks or don't listen to as many i guess uh, what is your uh, what do you think your average book length is um probably somewhere around like the eight maybe pushing 12 at the most yeah i think that's pretty typical for me how about you roar uh, actually, I have no idea. I, I listen to a lot of long fantasies, so I would actually think that um, mine would probably be about this length. Oh, really? Okay. So you're listening to more like uh, Wheel of Time, um, yeah. Lord of the Rings style, I mean, length books. Okay. So um, this was a little bit longer for me, and... Before before we get into any real details about it, I want to bring up something that Kat mentioned to me. Um, I don't know if it was when you were done with the book or you were about halfway through it. You mentioned how long the chapters were. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, tell us about that a little bit because I felt the exact same thing. It was a lot different than Dead Witch Walking. Dead Witch Walking was, I think it was like 30, 45-minute chapters. Um, maybe the occasional hour-long chapter, but it was very easily digestible um, chapter chapter-wise because you could like put it on for thirty minutes and then it's like okay if you need to take a break oh I got like five ten minutes left in this chapter I can take a break after that. These were like hour hour thirty two hours at some points and it was very long ongoing chapters and i found that harder to digest because in my line of work i have a lot of people that come up to me and i listen to it at work by the way um (laughs) take that how you will (laughs) um and that's funny for a different reason but um but yeah it was it was just longer chapters and i found myself like okay i need to take a break or i need to go to lunch or something and i look at how much i have left and it's like 45 minutes or it's like an hour left and i'm just like good god so i found myself stopped in the middle or just close to the end of the chapters fairly frequently yeah i i kind of got that same impression especially I'm more used to listening to chapters the length of something from Patricia Briggs or, like you said, Kim Harrison. Or um, you want some really short chapters, you need to read some uh, Robert Aspirin. But um, yeah, I thought I thought the same thing. What'd you think, Roar? Oh well, the context of which I was listening to this one was actually a little bit different because I think. Um, the majority of the book I actually listened to on flights, which are like long haul, like between six and 18 hours. So, I mean, 
I did switch around um, as I was traveling a little bit, but I could have big, long stints. But then I had the other awkward thing. This is kind of saucy book. And listening to an airplane uh, when you have old mate next to you, <laughs> not always the best experience. So you didn't have headphones for the plane? No, I had I had headphones. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's it's fairly saucy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, let's let's dive in a little further. So, um, like I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned already, uh, the book is Good Intentions. It was authored by Elliot Kay. The audio narration was done by Tess Irondale, and I will definitely be uh, getting into that a little bit later. And uh, I classify this book as urban fantasy. You guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not necessarily the uh, – it's, it's a – instead of someone being supernatural in a supernatural world, uh, like modern-day world, it's kind of a mundane – that is in the supernatural world and kind of has the supernatural stuff happen to him. It is definitely urban fantasy smut though, or like etchy. It's like, Oh, it's like yeah, for not, sure. it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it like a straight cut urban fantasy though. No, it's, it's full on a, uh, urban fantasy harem book. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. <laughs> so, um, and everyone giggles while we talk about this book because it is very lewd. Oh, in yeah. In its context. Yep. A hundred percent. And yeah, 22 hours of lewdness. So, um, all right. So well, there's some storyline is maybe 21 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, all right. So why don't we, why don't we really quick recap the, uh, the entirety of the book and, Guys, pitch in here as uh, you. As, I'm just going to make this really broad strokes, but so basically, the opening act our uh, protagonist Alex Carlisle. Um, he's college aged, and he is in a photography class, and basically wants to impress a couple of quote unquote goth girls that are in his class because he thinks both of them are beautiful, and they might be impressed if he sneaks into a cemetery. And get some shots of like a uh, moon coming up over mausoleums and that kind of stuff. So while he's in the cemetery, Alex runs across a, uh, a ritual that's going on where essentially a group of, uh, magic users are trying to, uh, bind a demon and an angel in some sort of bizarre ritual. Alex disrupts this ritual. And, um, essentially at that point, um, he, the, the ritual was aimed to bind these two as slaves to this guy. And when he disrupts the ritual, he ends up being the recipient of that binding. So he's now bound to a succubus and an angel. So, uh, and by the way, uh, this much happens in the first chapter, so, um, um, there's, there's no huge spoilers yet, but if you are adverse to spoilers for this book, you need to go do something else because there's going to be tons in this review. Uh, so anything, anything to add for what we've covered so far? Just a minor detail is that they were maimed in the ritual. 
Um, the, Correct. Wings the, cut the, off. Uh, yeah, wings cut off. Horn, the demon's tail cut yeah, off. Horns, horns and tail off. for the succubus, yep. Angel halo was broken. Hmm. Uh, that's just a minor detail I wanted to point out because it becomes a point later on in the book. And then, uh, essentially, the uh, angel tells Alex that she has to go, but um, the she's going to leave Alex with the succubus, Lorelei, and says that um, as a bound slave, and that's essentially what this ritual was for, is to make slaves out of them, uh, Lorelei won't be able to lie to Alex. And so Alex is afraid for his mortal soul, but essentially doesn't want to just leave Lorelai. So takes her back to his place. And um, after uh, some coercion, uh, Lorelai gets Alex to sleep with her. So uh, we get our first real lemon scene for the, uh, for the book. And um, we find that that act sealed the ritual that was started uh, on the um, when he disrupted the the ritual. So, what else? What else is important up to this point? Actually, I I don't know if there is anything. Um, it was mentioned that both of them couldn't lie to him. Right, but Not Rachel sure. wouldn't have lied anyway. He yeah. couldn't lie out of nature of being an angel, right? Was, so she would she wouldn't lie out of her nature. However, Lorelai, who's the succubus, could not lie because of the nature of the spell. Correct. And whereas her nature would to be to normally lie and deceive, and she couldn't. And one of the other one of the other key things is that she couldn't hurt him. So she had said that she couldn't hurt him and that she couldn't do that. And that was one bit that I didn't fully understand is because the spell isn't fully completed until had been consummated and and we saw that because it was supposed to bind both of them but Lorelai seemed much more affected by the spell than Rachel did the angel and so um so I want to stop here and uh mention the the main two women of the harem Lorelai and Rachel so um I want to get your guys's impressions first um, what you thought of the characters and and all of that, and then uh, and then I'll give you mine. So, Roar, what do you think? I did like the characters. Um, I probably, I mean, you have a lot more exposure to Lorelai, who's the succubus. Sure. Um, and obviously she has a lot more of, um, she has a lot more depth to her character when it comes to the scenes, which are applicable because obviously she's a succubus, so she's trying to then, create circumstances where she can gain power back. I enjoyed her character a lot more. Um, I felt like the angel, Rachel's character didn't completely suit her angelness. I know that she's not, you know, your, your run of a mill angel. She's a little bit different. She's obviously affected by the spell. So you have the demon who's been like, she's more good because she's been affected by the angel being bound to the spell and the, and the angel is a little bit more rough around the edges, um, more than what she normally would be because she's bound to the demon through this, um, through this spell. 
but my favorite out of the two characters was just definitely Lorelai. She had, I felt like she had a lot more depth to her character, which obviously she can because she's spent the, like a millennia on the earth causing havoc. So, yeah, yeah. Well. Um, I agree with all of that. Actually, um, I think, um, I think the reason why Lorelai is a more favored character than Rachel is because she got a lot more screen time than Rachel. Um, yeah, that's not fair. To, I mean, Rachel got a lot of screen time, but I mean, a good 90%, it was always Alex and Lorelai, Alex and Lorelai. And the rare times it wasn't Alex and Lorelai, it was Alex and someone else. And then it was Alex and Rachel or, you know, but I, I think it's just equates to the amount of screen time and the, well, book time, I guess. Um mm. And, and that's why we uh, would favor her more because I liked Lorelai too, and I liked her a lot more than Rachel. Um, not to saying I didn't like Rachel, I thought the dynamic of the two, and I know when you said this a lot, is that um, you know Lorelai is supposed to be like this demon succubus, but yet she's all like eloquently spoken right. and like proper. Yep. And then you get Rachel, this angel, and then she's just like cussing and you know, just acting crazy and not, not like what you would typically expect the, um, you would expect the others to act like that way. But no, it was, it was a nice twist because then, you know, there's at times, you know, I kind of forgot Lorelai was a demon because she was like, Oh, I'm a smooth talker. Right. And uh, that's certainly intentional on her part. That just helps her manipulate people. And so, the uh so yeah it's easy to say Lorelai's your favorite because of all of the exposure you get to her in the book and because she is shacked up with alex through the entire thing and rachel has a job she's a guardian angel so she has to leave a lot and also it's against the rules for um demons and uh especially angels to reveal themselves to mortals but because of the ritual Rachel didn't have a choice but to reveal herself. And so Alex knows about her. And um, as a guardian angel, she's supposed to be, uh, obviously, guardian angels are supposed to love their charges, but they're not supposed to love their charges. And um, when when that ends up transpiring in the book, uh, she gets in trouble for it. So, um, yeah, I, I can see I can see where you guys are coming from. I loved the character of Lorelai, um, but I will also say that I think Rachel was probably my favorite, and it was just because she was so brash and outspoken and didn't fit the quote-unquote angel mold like you were talking about, Roar. It, she was uh, kind of a uh, loose cannon in the angelic ranks. Uh, I think I know why, though, because I we, we play D&D together, um, and... Typically, my understanding of the characters that you like is you like a really good, lawful good character who has a bit of an attitude, who has a backstory <laughs> and has a bit of a, a quirk to them. And that explains Rachel in a nutshell. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is uh, while the I will say that the sex scenes between Alex and Lorelai were uh, very steamy, very uh, intimate I actually enjoyed the um, the sex scene between Alex and Rachel more than Lorelai's. It came later in the book, um, 
because like I said, she uh, had a job to do. And also once again, she wasn't initially as if affected by this uh, ritual as Lorelai was. So, um, but yeah, that, I think that um, overall just her attitude and demeanor, but the fact that she was still on the quote unquote right side of things. Um, and I, you know, just because you're, just because you're, as you say, a lawful good character, doesn't mean that you can't put your foot up somebody's butt. And Rachel was very much about that. Yeah. And I think I felt that she was actually more lawful good than other angels that they had, they had mentioned because of that. She was sticking up for what she felt was right rather than, which, you know, which might have made her more good. I don't know about the lawful part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking that kind of like more neutrally lawful, but definitely good rather than lawful and between good, neutral and good. Right. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, um, that's kind of, but, but I agree with, with what Kat said. And I've said it a hundred times. It was a nice twist for the demon to be so eloquent and well-spoken and, you know, classy. Mm. And then for Rachel to be just so foul-mouthed and brash. So I, I enjoyed Which that. Which actually makes sense, right? Because, like, if you've got a succubus who's living, you know, she's mentioned at the backstory. She's, like, being with kings and all levels of society. She has to be, you know, multiple and pliable to different situations, whereas the angel's basically unseen. Yeah, that's in, true. In most most circumstances, unless she's dealing with demons, and when she's dealing with demons, she hasn't got the, the greatest words for them. So, <laughs> uh, yes. So then we get into um, so after Alex has slept with Lorelai, uh, we get into kind of the middle, uh, the meat of the book, and that becomes Lorelai pushing Alex into. Uh, new relationships or at least new sex, even if there's no real relationship involved. Um, and yeah, I think it might be good to discuss why and the powers behind the succubi in the, in this circumstance. Cause I think depending on the, the fantasy you're dealing with, the succubus's powers can actually. Yeah. Go change. ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, and I might tell it wrong. So cat jump in um, if you think this is wrong, but the, so a succubus basically draws power from their victims by giving them off either sexual pleasure or actually off the finishing of the sex. So basically the orgasm. Um, but in this circumstance, Lorelei uh, or the succubi can actually gain power from their master also having sex. So the fact that the would gain because the spell actually ties her own pleasure into the master's pleasure. So she, instead of her, her normal power, which would be deriving the pleasure from, from her victim, the one victim she's dealing with, she can actually derive pleasure from her master, which is Alex in the circumstance and the main character going out and having interactions with others. And it's as if she's participating in it and she gains the same benefit as she would as if she was sleeping with them herself. about covered it spot on so the uh, the i i think i got most of that uh i i did think that there was one nuance that uh, i didn't understand the way that you explained it i always thought that uh lorelei or a succubus 
would gain um, power from their uh, their victim, uh, no matter you know who they were having sex with. But right. uh, because of the ritual, um, Rachel kind of got the same effect. Uh, where normally someone that she was having sex with, or if Alex was having sex with somebody else, she would not be affected mm. because she wasn't okay. a participant in it. But Rachel, because she was part of this, kind of got the same um, the same effect that a regular succubus would have. So that basically, if Alex was having sex with Rachel, Lorelai would be enjoying it, and vice versa. Correct. Okay. Yep. So yeah, and I think the only thing I've missed here is that when a normal succubus would have sex with somebody, she would absorb their power and eventually kill them. Correct. So she could give them extra uh, vitality and virility uh, for a period, uh, but for the end of actually withdrawing all of their power and, and killing them in the end. But that does not have an effect on Alex. It it actually cannot happen. Well, so only because Lorelai wants to keep him alive. And most of the time mm. her job is to punish the wicked. That was another thing too um, that, I, that I found interesting about this book was the idea that, yes, demons are terrible. Yes, demons are bad. But there's a purpose for them. Lorelai didn't just get to sent to earth to uh, screw with people. She was sent to earth to punish the wicked. That was her job. So if there was somebody that was really screwed up, we got an instance of a, uh, a colonel in, in a, um, you know, back in World War II running a concentration camp that she was sent to destroy. Um, I mean... It was it was interesting that they weren't just randomly going around and and messing with people. Uh, now there now there are corruptors from hell that come and tempt people to uh, to do things that will endanger their souls, but the succubi are not that. They are they are sent to punish people who are already bound for hell. Yeah, and I think that that was a rare distinction because they said that there were a lot of corruptors, um, but they really only mentioned a few of these uh, punishers, which were the, basically the succubi. Um, but the corruptors, their their intent was to go out and basically maximize the quota for souls in 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 hell, right? And I feel like um, there's another succubus who's mentioned later. I feel like she was borderline between. I felt like she was. She was not meant to be a corruptor because she got punished for it later. Uh, but the purpose of the succubi was to only be a punisher. Right. And then in this, in this middle act, we also uh, start getting beginnings of chapters that have, are completely disjointed from the rest of the story. Oh bear, gosh, yeah. bear absolutely no... Uh, there's there's no commonality between the story that's going on now and the story that we get at the beginning of some of these chapters. And we get everything from uh, Vikings to Roman legionnaires to crusaders to um, uh, people who died in world wars. Uh, I mean, it's all over the place. And in each instance, the only thing that really seems to be tying them together is that the person 
that is featured in these disjointed visions or whatever um, ends up dead or horribly lonely because, uh, you know, their uh, wife or girlfriend or love interest cheated on them or left them or something. Uh, mm. But either dead or uh, in tragic circumstance. That's really the only connection that we get between these things. You guys, anything to add to that? Elia, you go first on this one. I'm interested to hear your perspective on this. I I didn't mind them. They were certainly out of the blue and was just like, okay, that was just a weird little like short story that just happened. It was mainly the transitions into them and out of them that really were jarring to me. And that's the only other gripe I have with the long chapters is just the transitioning of scenes were very abrupt and it wasn't like a smooth flow into it. It was just like, okay, now we're talking about this one guy storming the Viking longhouse and now it's on fire and then everyone's dead. Okay, now we're back to Lorelai having sex. And yeah. I was like, wait, what? Uh, or Lorelai waking him up. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was basically, yeah. So uh, it's interesting that you brought up the Viking one again. Uh, Scory was actually one of my favorite of those disjointed um, visions that we got to see. Uh, did you guys have a favorite? Oh. I mean, I mean, I've got a memorable one, which was the, the cowboy one. I think that was the most memorable for me. I think the cowboy, then the Viking one. Wasn't he like um, a piano player or something? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he's a piano player and he was like smitten with one of the girls in the whorehouse who had come over from Ireland as an immigrant. He, her husband had died. And so she was left without a job. So had to become a whore for that reason. And he didn't judge her. He was actually in love with her. He was saving up some money to get her back to Ireland, to get her back to safety. Um, and she basically took the money and left because she couldn't be in that situation anymore. She stole his money. Um, and then basically he, one of the other gangsters who was running the, the whorehouse uh, had basically ticked him off and he lost it and killed everyone and subsequently died. But he, he went out with a, with a bang, which I yeah. think that's the, that's the, um, the premise of all of these dreams is essentially um he's put in a situation which is quite unfair. You've got kind of a, an honorable man who's then stuck up for what he believes in and he kills all the bad guys and ends up in death. Yeah. So, um, and any favorites for you, Kat? Um, I forgot about the piano man one. That one was really good. The only ones that like stick out was the piano man, the Viking one and the, the nom. Vietnam soldier because that yep. was that's when it kind of was relayed to you that like hey these um, spoiler alert these past lives are actually Alex's past lives yeah and and with, with that can I just jump in here yeah, in go ahead. quickly mm-hmm. I actually didn't see that as a spoiler because you've probably forgotten about this but chapter one is he's a soldier and he I think it's it seems it's like either World War One or World War Two setting. And he's been injured, uh, and he gets left behind by his troop, and he gets visited by a gypsy. And the gypsy says, you know, you've had a really unfortunate life, this paraphrase. You have an unfortunate life, but you will find it in a future one. Um, 
And I think that for me, uh, because it was the first chapter, it just stuck with me. And that's why every time I saw one of these dreams come through, I was like, this either is Alex's past life or, or um, Lydia's life. Did wasn't you get that the, the book? Oh, Lorelai, sorry. Sorry? Wasn't what you just said, wasn't that the opening of the book? Was it was. Flashback? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So did you did you later in the book get the sense that the gypsy that tended to him in that flashback ended up being Hannah? Not until he said something. <laughs> yeah, no. <clears throat> I didn't see that at all. But I mean like could be. So Hannah did uh, Hannah is uh so Hannah is also a guardian angel. She is Rachel's mentor. And mm. she mentioned that she had watched over Alex in his past. And had loved him, but not loved in the way that the Rachel had, but right. had loved him from by viewing him. Right. Yeah, that actually makes sense. No, I didn't pick that up at all. So um, I, I kind of got that out of it. I, I don't know that that's 100% the case, but that's what I took from it. Um, and um, so Kat brought up a very good one, and that was the Vietnam one, where uh, there were uh, two black guys in the bush. One of them was injured. And a white guy that was basically injured to being unconscious. And the black guy wanted to get his his friend out of there and leave who he was calling, quote-unquote, Cracker Carlisle. Because he, he was like a, a full-on racist. And so n- neither one of them liked him. So he wanted to save his friend and leave Carlisle there. And his friend was already wounded. And he goes, no, you take him. Cause I'm dead. I'm basically dead anyway. You know, leave me your gun. You guys get out of here. So he saved who I took to be an ancestor of Alex's, whether it was, whether it was his father or grandfather, whatever. And so if it hadn't been for that act, then Alex would have never shown up or at least not in, in the iteration that we knew him in the book. Right. So that was pretty cool. Um, I thought that was a, a, a neat plot device. Um, Scory, the, the Viking one, was absolutely my favorite, though, where uh, he had, um, his wife had been cuckled, and so he basically uh, took her to a new camp. And while he was out raiding for the king, um, the king's sons visited his wife and uh, basically raped her and beat her to death. And when Scory got back and found out, he didn't. He suspected who did it, but he didn't know. So he listened at the doorway and uh, heard uh, the sons basically admit to what they had done. And then he went inside and started killing people. And basically, when uh, even if he was going to fall, he was still going to get all of his enemies because he had barred up everything and burned the building that he was fighting in. So, uh, yeah, uh, once again, tragic death, uh, uh, love gone bad, that kind of thing. So, uh, anyway, we're getting these flashbacks and, um, if you're paying close attention, you probably get it figured out early. These are past lives of Alex. And if you're not, then you're just going, what the hell? So, um, all right. So. We get to meet Alex's um, three friends, three really close friends. Um, so it was 
uh, Drew was a, a friend of his. He was kind of into martial arts and that sort of thing. Wade was a friend of his that had joined the army. He had been injured in, uh, was it, it, it was overseas. Um, I don't remember if it was Iraq, Afghanistan. Yeah, I believe it was in, it was one of the Iraq or Afghanistan wars and he was shot in the buttocks. Yeah, shot in the butt. He, he <laughs> drops his pants a lot and shows off his ass. And, uh, and then, so Drew and, uh, what was the other one? They ended up buying the stun gun. <laughs> uh, do you guys remember his name? Drew, Wade, and, um, I want to say it's like Isaac or, um, let's see. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I'll keep looking for it, but, um, I'm trying to think if, um, okay. So we get Lorelai, Rachel, Garrison, the gang, Tony, Juan, Mike, Tyrell. Hmm. Well, I don't see a, Jason. Jason. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, those, they, they've been his friends for a long time and they're almost always involved in his, um, in his shenanigans, uh, throughout the book. So, um, when, uh, after we meet them, um, a pool hall that they shoot pool out a lot, uh, gets bought out by this, uh, the corruptor, a greed demon. And, um, the reasoning is because Lorelai is with Alex and this demon knows that Lorelai is no longer bound to her old master ball, um, that he can get points with ball if he basically brings her back. So in order, I feel like that was a secondary reason. I think the main reason was that he wanted to get laid by her because it says yeah, that these lesser true. demons yeah. and corruptors like super froth having sex with one of these higher level demon, higher tier demons, which are the sucker by. And he basically wants to get in her pants yep. and he tries beforehand and she, when she's weak of power and then luckily Alex is having sex with somebody else at that time and she gains enough power to like, deflect him yeah. and then so he's basically lashing out in the way that he can by trying to corrupt Alex to sell Lorelai back to him and uh, when it is when and at this point his friends don't know that Lorelai is a demon they don't know demons and angels and you know anything even exist Alex is trying to figure out how to break this all to him he's not going to keep it from him but he just hasn't told them yet when uh, this demon goes off on them in the pool hall and Alex basically starts telling his friends what to do and they and they end up uh, subduing him, taking him to holy ground and destroying him for good. Normally, if a demon's destroyed, they just reform in hell. But if they're destroyed on holy ground, then they're done for good. So... Um, at that point, yeah. the cat's out of the bag and all of his friends know. So go ahead. I think one of the important things to note here is that um, Lydia, uh, sorry, not Lydia, uh, Lorelai is starting to get 
power her powers back through Alex's escapades of having sex with all these people. Um, and you know, his friends start to th- see that it's a that it, like she has a kink, and my understand like that he she has this kink where he can basically like have a little bit of fun. My understanding of this is that um, he had Alex has already earned some kudos because he's given Lorelai hope. And so she's, she, that's something which Sakabai don't have hope and hope to do good. And the fact that he's already starting to turn her already, he's already had some decent kudos, but he gains big kudos out of like the whole heaven hell relationship. Um, because him and his friends are mortals and they're able to kill this green demon in this circumstance. Have I remembered that right? Yeah, I think so. And uh, you, anything to add, Kat? Um, the only thing I want to add is um, Lorelai was not a servant of Baal. She was a servant of Belial. Belial. Mm. That's right. Baal was Lydia's. Uh, that's correct. She was with Baal, Baal, yeah. Baal beforehand, yes. and oh, he yeah. had that's traded right. her in to basically give, uh, forgive a feud between Belial and Baal. So Belial and um, uh, or Baal and Belial were both uh, dukes of hell, and uh, there were a few more. But uh, essentially, one traded. So Baal traded to Belial, right? Or Belial yes. traded to Baal. Ball oh, traded to oh, Belial, and said for it was some sort of political uh, machination uh, in hell. So here is the most powerful succubus ever, and lay off of me or whatever it was, and so that's how she transferred services. But when the ritual happened, her her uh, connection to Belial was severed and transferred to Alex. Yep. So now that's why. Uh, so. Ball still wants Lorelai. So that's when this corruptor demon also figured, hey, I could score some points if I, you know, was able to return her to his service. Yeah. So um, the only other thing I wanted to add was it was more of a funny moment with the corruptor. Um, I can't remember his name. Um and it was when Alex was like giving all commands and he's just like, Hey, like Jason or someone like go to the kitchen and get a cleaver. And then he <laughs> yeah. went and get it. And then he's just like, all right, now pull his pants down. And then I think it was Wade was just like, well, now hold on. cowboy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. He's just like, what are we doing here? Like we're pinning him down to the pool table and you want us to take his pants off. It's just like, okay. And then, then the, Alex was just like, trust me. And then he, you know, cut off the tail and all the other stuff. Um, so I, I thought that was really funny in the grand scheme of the two minutes that isn't sex and whatnot, or the two hours that isn't sex. <laughs> um, and so that 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 needs to be expressed again. I don't remember a fade to black scene in this book. There was there was a lot of instances of sex, and I think that they basically that Elliot K described all of them, or at least ninety five percent of them. Right. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of time devoted to the act of and the emotions involved in, and, uh, there, there were no, uh, Hey, let's go to bed together. And then the next chapter starts and they're waking up. (laughs) Um, so, um, 
Yeah, there was. Uh, but the other thing is they there were a lot of there was still a lot of plot in here. A lot of foundation laying. So um okay. So um so now they've destroyed a minor demon and uh Lorelai's getting noticed more and more. Um in particular Alex is assaulted with one of his friends. It was Taylor, right? One, uh, mm. Like a girl that he knew from school? Yeah. Are you talking and about Not that, just though? a girl. I feel like it's his whole high school crush. Right, it was. Um, it, so kind of an unrequited love interest of his uh, that he ended up getting with several times throughout the book because uh, of his new... What did Rachel call it? Um, succubus herpes or uh, demon herpes or whatever it was that Lorelai was giving him, which made him seem more uh, uh, interesting to females that he was interested in. Sexually appealing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, one of uh, Lorelai's uh, earlier conquests was uh, to kill a... Uh, was he just a crime lord or a drug lord or whatever? Carlos? It wasn't Carlos. It was, um, anyway, somebody that basically she had screwed to death and sent his soul to hell. Well, his, um, the people that hung around with him recognized her hanging out with Alex. Yeah. So, I feel like he was just a gangbanger, like a drug runner. Okay. There you go. So then, yeah. uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that point, uh, they, they meet him and Taylor in the uh, parking lot of a mall where Lorelai has been confronting a that same corruptor demon before it was destroyed. And um, Alex gets shot in this confrontation. Um, but he, uh, you know, he shoved one of them out in front of a car. Uh, that car hit him, and then there's a fight. Alex gets shot. Rachel shows up, kind of saves the day. And also makes it to where basically pulls the bullet out of him so that he can claim it just deflected off of a rib or whatever. And so, um, but people, the point is people are recognizing Lorelai for her past deeds and Alex is suffering the consequences of this. And so then, um, we, uh, we end up meeting a, a group called the Brotherhood of Apollo. And they are magic users. And one of their members, one of their former members, was actually the one that performed the ritual that ended up binding Rachel and Lorelai to Alex. They had dismissed him from the Brotherhood because he was so set on uh, making this ritual work. Uh, and eventually they had tired of his... Um, shenanigans doing it and just said you're out of here well he kept working on it and obviously got it right well they find out that it worked so they end up enlisting the help of the vampires of seattle where seattle's where this all takes place and um getting together and trying to find alex and um and lorelei so uh you guys want to talk about that a bit Yeah, I just want to skip back one first. I think for me, the gangbanger incident wasn't the most important. It was like a good intro 
into the whole Taylor thing and how they like get connected and why they're so close. But I actually think the most important um, historical figure that comes in in Laurelize is the guy who's still alive. There's like an investment guru who she thought she had killed um, at the point of summoning when she gets summoned into the ritual um, where she actually hasn't finished off. And they go into the house, her and Alex, to go and collect some of her goods because she has to pick up some clothes and some credit cards or a phone or whatever she has to get and car, car keys for her car. Uh, and then Alex meets this guy while he's still alive. Um, and I think he, that's when he's comfort, confronted with the true nature of what she actually does. And I actually found this to be one of the most compelling parts of the book because it really brought the her true nature into his realm and then the way that he deals with things. So rather than killing the guy straight away because he was corrupt, he turned the situation into good in a way of like getting him, the investor to return the money back to people that he had ripped off. And I really like that part of the book. Yeah, that was good. And uh, also, you know, while the, I think when the angels were talking about it, uh, they said that, it, he didn't like redeem this guy's soul, but gave him a chance for redemption. You know, at this point, yeah. instead of yeah. instead of him going straight to hell, at least now he could live the rest of his life. And if this showed him the error of his ways, maybe he could redeem himself enough to not go to hell. Yeah, which I think will be important in the future because they keep talking about balance. Like that, that has to be. There's this balance between heaven and hell, and the demons and the and the angels, and as long as the angels and the demons don't upset it, it's all good, but then humans can actually flip the balance there. And I feel like that everything that Alex does, uh, he always flips the balance, and he does this in his past life, but in the current life he does it a lot. So in the past life he does it by, like, ending bad guys. But in in his future, in his current life, he's, like, really, like, changing people away. So rather than letting them get picked up by demons and killed, he, he's able to turn people onto the better path. I mean, like most people in that circumstance, they'd go in there and have access to all of this money and they would have just taken it and he would have been greedy and it would have ruined the book. Um, but I mean, like he stayed true to character. Yeah, I'll buy that. Although at the same time, Lorelai's insanely rich. So it probably makes it easier to <laughs> forego, yeah. you know, not as much temptation there. Yeah. Um, so anything to add, Kat? Uh, only thing I need to add is like the Brotherhood hired the vampires to like capture Alex and Lorelai. Um, I forget their intent. Why? I think it's just to um, get them to ball, probably. Well, or so they they are interested in the results of this. They want to find out about the ritual, right? Because okay. they, they didn't think it was going to work, and this former member had made it work that former member was now dead because um didn't mention this in the beginning but when alex disrupted that ritual basically burned down the the building that it was in and all of the um members that, that yeah it, w it was all burned up including yeah. the, the, that i think one thing to mention to this is it's actually there's another sucker by who's after lorelei 
and she hates Lorelai. Her name is Lydia. Lydia. Yep. That's why I keep dropping the name Lydia. Yeah. Um, and Lydia actually hired the vampires. And when I say hired the vampires, I think she threatened them to find Alex and, and Lorelai. And then in that, the vampires had reached out to the network of the wizards to try and find this this character, and then they had put two and two together. That's how I remember it anyway. I might be wrong. And and basically Lydia was offering whoever could deliver the goods, being Alex and Lorelai, that they would gain Ball's favor. Correct. Yeah. So um, anyway, so they're, they're vying for this. Um, so... Um, so now basically the entire underbelly of Seattle's looking for, uh, looking for these, these two. And, um, we finally get, uh, around to, so let's talk real quick. There were, uh, I, I won't say countless. There were many, many, um, sex scenes and different partners in, in the book. So let me ask you this, which one was your favorite? Which of Alex's quote unquote conquests in the book were uh, were your favorite? Um, I would agree with what you said early on, and I would say it would be the um, one with Rachel because it felt like that one was like it was a long time coming. They both really wanted it. It was like pure and intimate and it was like it wasn't just like oh i'm just sleeping with this girl now because she threw herself upon me or um hey this one girl is really interested i wonder if i can sleep with her or whatever or it was just like like this like they they wanted it to happen and it and it finally came to be and they were like passionate and whatever and it was probably the most the one that stood out to me the most how about you roar Ah, unpopular opinion. Yep, go ahead. Mid, midway through the book, I kind of got over it with ah. the sex scenes. I'm like, all right, this guy's had like so many threesomes and so much sex <laughs> that I felt like it was just like all the same. And I probably would have like approached the, you know, the kinkiness of some, maybe like the mid, the middle scenes a little bit better. But I was like, I mean, you know, in the beginning, I really liked them and I liked the, you know, the the awkwardness towards it. But then I think I like the, the there's a situation where, you know, Lorelai says to him, I re- like, I want you to have sex with this other person. She basically lines up some random that he can have sex with. Um, and then after that, Taylor catches him and she's like, comes in. And she's like, you know what, you know, I'm just going to do this. And I felt like it was really weird, but I thought it was like, I kind of, you know, she was taking ownership of it because he had this like weird attraction about him. Um, and I thought that was really cool. But I mean, if I had to put one down to it, it might be the Onyx one. So, yeah, that Onyx was full on my favorite. Now, yeah, okay. uh, but between the two, Lorelai and Rachel, Rachel was my favorite for the reasons that Kat gave. There was more of a yeah. buildup. She literally stalked him as his guardian angel and just like watched him have sex and you know lusted I think after a him. Of and, days where he has yes. sex and she basically just watches him having like it's basically live porn. For yes, her. And, and she's experiencing the pleasure too. Yes, and staying away. So uh, and then you know when she 
corners him at college and, uh, you know, basically attacks him there and, and then they, they end up, so it felt like there was a, a slower build and, and so that was more gratifying between the two of them. Onyx. Mm-hmm. So remember we said that Molly and Onyx were the two goth girls that he was trying to impress. Well, we find out that they are, uh, witches and, um, uh, Onyx ends up sleeping with Alex and it is, uh, and also, uh, they are witches and they are together. And, uh, we knew they were friends, but they are actually a couple. And so, um, but they've both decided that they would like, um, a little variety in their sex life. So, uh, they're open to the idea of bringing in a man to their relationship and so what essentially happened is Onyx won a coin toss with Molly because they both liked Alex. So basically she got to go first. And you also find out later she used witchcraft to cheat and she ended up, she ended up affecting the outcome of that coin toss so she could go first. Um, but I thought that that was actually the most well done and intimate scene that, um, that Elliot K put in the book and mm. even made further, because you find out later that Alex's in enhanced attraction doesn't work on them because they ward themselves as witches against things like that. So this was just an honest, I'm interested in this guy and I want to sleep with him before. That was, that was a cool anecdote for me because it was like right at the end, you find out that he's done this whole thing in order to impress them and get with them. And they had already decided before this that they were going to introduce him to this kind of like this girl on girl thing that he had. So, I mean, like he had it made without all of this extra stuff that happened anyway, because he's, you start off the story that he's a virgin. He's basically just like looking for a girl. Um, And basically the whole story is almost irrelevant if you're after just the one piece where if he was trying to find a girlfriend, because he essentially had like two there. Right. Um, so anyway, that uh, Onyx was definitely my favorite. Um, but of the main two, Rachel. Um, so, um, so at this point, um, dur- when Alex is finally doing the deed with Rachel, the witches are, uh, when Onyx was having sex with Alex, Lorelai came in, but she was shrouding herself from normal sight, but because Onyx has witch sight, she noticed Lorelai and promptly excused herself. She's like, I got to go and didn't let Alex know that she saw Lorelai, but it freaked her out. So she left and she also did a, a quick like, um, uh, protection spell on Alex before she left just involved, like dumping a little salt in his hair or something like that. So, uh, she takes off and then she goes and tells Molly, what went on and they, she's undergoing a clean, a cleansing ritual because she doesn't know if she's like been corrupted or something like that. So, um, then when Alex ends up, both of the witches are like, well, we need to, we need to protect Alex because he may not even know that he's, you know, under this spell or, you know, under a demon's watch or whatever. So what, when the witches see Rachel with him at school, 
they assume that, hey, you know, succubi can change shapes and all that kind of thing. This is probably her. So they collect some of her hair from where Alex and her were rolling around, like uh, either up against a wall or in the leaves or whatever. And so they use that in a binding spell. And right after um, Rachel and Alex seal the deal, Rachel just disappears like instantly. And Alex is like, what the hell? And jumps up out of bed, tries to call Lorelai. And about that time, uh, a demon named Harrow uh, or Harrow and uh, who had been sent um, to uh, by Lydia basically to assist the vampires in uh, capturing Lorelai also takes Lorelai. So he calls so Alex calls Lorelai in a panic. Hey, Rachel's disappeared, but she's not there because she's been captured too. So then uh, he has to go, uh, Alex has to uh, go and find them. As soon as he goes outside, he gets captured. And so uh, essentially the witches have Rachel and the Brotherhood slash uh, demons have uh, the other two. And one of Alex's friends sees this go on and alerts Taylor and his other three friends and they... um, they go off to find Alex and, uh, and Lorelai. So, uh, anything to add there? Only thing I want to add is just like minor details that I thought were funny during this point was, um, you know, right after Alex and Rachel did the deed, you know, she's going over to the fridge to get him some water and she's like showing off her ass and like her wings are like, I've grown back and whatever. And he's just like, Oh man, I'm so lucky. And then just like you said, the ritual happens and it's just like a boop and she's just gone. Yeah. The water drops to the ground and she's just disappeared. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought that was funny. Um, another thing in a, in a similar sense was with Lorelai as, um, she, I believe she's taking Taylor back home. Lorelai is taking Taylor back home and they have a little intimate scene with them for a short bit. But then Lorelai realizes that Alex and Rachel are going to get together. So she kind of like shushes Taylor to go home so she can like enjoy herself in the moment because, you know, this is a long time coming. You know, this is, I think, when Lorelai gets her wings back now at this point and she's like on Alex's bed, like she's ready to pleasure herself. And then just Harrow's hand busts through the window, takes her out, rips her out into the street. And then she's getting beaten on by the vampires. And it's just like. This is when the plot happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was uh, very abrupt. So, um, all right. So they are taken back to the Brotherhood of Apollo's um, mansion and bound like in a full-on dungeon with a uh, with another uh, young woman who has obviously been abused down there who you later find out is a werewolf. Um, so anyway, the uh, Alex's friends uh, try to come rescue him. Molly and Onyx are also persuaded to join, uh, and they, they get invited to the party because the Brotherhood of Apollo has been after them to recruit them for some time. So they pose as if they are interested in joining the Brotherhood to get into the party, the rest of the friends basically 
crash with guns blazing or cars exploding as the case may be. And so we get a, um, we end up at this point, um, Lydia's latest, uh, conquest has been a drug Lord named Carlos. And when she sent him to the afterlife, she performed, um, some really bizarre ritual on him that when his soul left, uh, Ball's soul inhabited Carlos's body. So Ball is walking around on earth and he's at the party. So when everybody shows up, uh, Harrow is there. All the vampires are there. The Brotherhood of Apollo is there. And then Alex and Lorelai are chained in the dungeon. And Rachel is bound by the witch's spell, so she's not there. But the witches are. And so things are kind of dicey between the vampires and the, and the Brotherhood of Apollo. But things are going okay. And Alex is given something called the Tears of Leith or Leeds or something like that by one of the brotherhood of Apollo. And what it does is it forces him to relive his life's pain. Well, he has so many past lives that he just completely breaks down and loses it to the point that he wants to die. And, uh, Lorelai and Rachel are getting this because they're tied to him emotionally. And so, and, um, Lydia is going to basically, um, screw Alex to death in front of Lorelai to make it even worse for her before she, because when Alex is dead and that binding is done, she can be bound back to ball. Well, um, when they're getting ready to, Alex basically makes enough trouble that, uh, they decide to kill him. But, uh, when they loosen up one of his bonds, uh, he goes off and he knows how to fight because of all of his past lives that he just relived those instincts, you know, using a sword from as Scory did using a gun as that uh, guy in the old West did using, you know, all of these, all of these memories come flooding back and he, he's a badass fighter. And uh, anything to say about that? No, it was just, he took um, that potion to, make him look like, kind of like a truth serum, but it also made him remember his past lives. And, um, he just came out like he, like there was a Tommy gun on the floor and it, like, he picked it up, checked the magazine, reloaded, took the safety off. Like, and he's like doing this, like if it was all second nature to him. And he's like, why do I know how to do all this? Yeah. And like handling a, a gladius, like as if it was an extension of his arm and all that stuff. Yeah. I think, Beforehand, I mentioned that it got a bit boring in the middle. And I mean, the point that you mentioned before where the the demon and the angel go poof is the point where I like it started to get good again. And I like the build up of this. The only thing that I thought was a little bit too coincidental was that, and this ties into this, is each one of his past lives ties into exactly what one of the vampires weapons yes, were carrying. So there's a vampire that. that had a Tommy gun that happened to relate to that past life. And I mean, he probably had a million past lives where the same thing happened. And so he has these, this unique skill sets of in these past lives where basically he's wiped out all these bad guys. And it relates to each weapon that there's a vampire around him who's carrying. So one's got the gladius, one's got a Tommy gun. And basically because the, the, these, the brotherhood is fed in this tears of leaf, Leith, 
um, he's getting those memories back. And because he's got all those memories and those sorrows, he's basically got the muscle memory of like all of these warriors who are able to wipe out like in, in, all these bad guys. And, and he, he then unleashes it onto everybody, brotherhood and vampire alike. Yes. So, uh, and by this point, his friends are outside battling Harrow, um, and uh, making some ground. And the witches realize when this this whole thing starts going on, the witches or, or the Brotherhood of Apollo and the uh, vampires they basically split. They start fighting. Uh, Molly and Onyx are just using divination to know where to move so that they'll like be out of the way of all the chaos. And, uh, then, uh, also this place is warded. So Rachel can't see where, um, where Alex is with her normal guardian sight. But when Molly and Onyx realize that they need Rachel and that, you know, Lorelai and Rachel are two different people, they break the binding so she's free, and then um, Wade and the rest of the group crash through the house with uh, SUV or whatever vehicle they're in, and st- a fire starts, and it breaks the wards. So now uh, uh, Rachel sees this, you know, fire. Uh, she'd flown up high to see what was going on, and she sees it, and then she looks, and she sees Alex, so she goes in to help the fight. And uh, so... The werewolf kind of decides Alex would be a good mate because he's obviously very skilled at combat and strong, and uh, but he won't leave Lorelai. So Lorelai has been taken by Ball and is going to be taken back to hell. Lydia was supposed to finish Alex. So they, um, with the fight going on, Lorelai attacks Ball, and then um, and. Um, the werewolf is Diana, right? Yeah. Yeah. She leaves because, um, she has a way out. Uh, she wanted to take Alex with her, but she has to preserve herself first. So she takes off. And so Alex keeps fighting. He fights, um, uh, Lydia for a while. And then, uh, after he beats her, um, he goes to try and help Lorelai. Lorelai basically beat Ball's physical form, which was a huge deal. But then when Ball went back to hell, he opened a portal and pulled her in. So the portal's getting ready to close. Molly and Onyx keep it open. Alex and Rachel uh, go through the portal with Lorelai. Um, and uh, I think Alex actually went with Lorelai and Rachel came in after. Yeah. And then... Um, when so now they're in hell, and um, Haro uh, and uh, Ball and all of Ball's minions are there. And when Rachel gets there, she kills Haro, which is a huge deal because, like the guard, the main primary guardian of Seattle, um, Vincent, he has had this thing about doing away with Haro for a long time. And, uh, so, and Rachel absolutely hates him because they used to be a couple and then she figured out he was a tool. And so she ends up killing this 
great white whale of his. And um, so then, but when she attacks Ball, she gets knocked around. And uh, anything up to this point that you guys want to jump in? The, yeah, I got one point. Go ahead. The only reason why I think, and this is just a, an assumption, that, that Lorelei has the power to beat Baal in his human form is I imagine Baal is somewhat weakened being in human form, but um, it's also because it's just after Alex and uh, Rachel had sex and that was meant to be a big connection which gave her a whole lot more power back and made her fully healed. So while she's been beaten up by these by the crew that basically abducted her, she's fueled by rage and by this excess power that she's had. Yeah, and it's I mean she's at her limits and it's it's a fight even with mm. even with him weakened, but yeah. Um uh, anything from you cat? The only thing I want to add is probably my favorite quote from the entire book is when Alex was leaving the dungeon, Diana basically went up, was still chained, and she was just like, listen, free me and I'll make you my mate for life. And I thought that was the most hilarious thing of the entire book. It made me smile, and I just thought that was great. And because it's like, there's another person throwing themselves at Alex. It's like, great, now this is like, what, the 10th, 11th person? He's finally getting, not that many, but... It's just another another girl that was throwing himself at him, and I thought that was hilarious. Um, ultimately, like you said, um, he set her free, but she as she didn't she wanted to take him with him, but she just kind of left on her own. Um, <laughs> but I I want to see more of Diana personally. I think you will. Um, I mean, I, the, when, by the end of this, I mean, I'll I'll bring this up in the end, but. All the women that he has, I've got them listed <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I book certainly two, book two hope, is going to be insane. I certainly hope we see more of Diana because I didn't. I wouldn't say she's my favorite character. She's just the one that stuck out the most, and she easily had the least amount of screen time. Yeah, I think I read it a little bit different when she said, "You know, free me, and I'll make you my mate forever." I think, well, one, she didn't understand Alex's situation, but having read the um, the Laurel I King books, um, Wind, help me here. What's the name of them? Mercy Verse? Oh, the Mercy Verse? Thompson series. Yeah, they, um, you understand the behaviors around like werewolf packs. And I actually, my, my feeling behind this is while she's like, I'll make you my mate forever, it was kind of like an honorable, kind of like, you know, you'll be part of the pack kind of thing and offering him something in, in return for it. And I think it, he just flaked it straight off. Because he's like, yeah, I think I've got enough. I got I've that got covered. Women and stuff to deal with at the moment. Like, yeah. I've got to save my demon first. Okay, so, um, so we're back to the fight in hell, and when uh, at this point, Rachel's hurt, and Lorelai's basically out of gas, but uh, Ball is. Uh, paying attention to her and all of a sudden Rachel's flaming sword erupts right through his chest. And we find out that Alex had picked it up, uh, basically destroying his hands. Cause like they turned to ash or whatever when he was done, but, uh, he rammed it straight through, um, his chest, 
uh, like back to front or whatever, and then um, and and killed Ball in his own realm. So now neither Haro or Ball will come back. And yeah, I think it's mentioned beforehand only briefly, but if um, the reason why the angels and the demons don't kill each other is because if they kill themselves in in the mortal realm. They just basically have a bit of time out in their own areas while they recoup and they can come back. So it's kind of like a waste of time. But the situation yeah. is different here. If you die in your own realm, you are dead, especially if you die by mortal hands. But if you die in your own realm, you're dead. And so then, as I said, the witches are holding the portal open. Um, so Lorelei essentially takes up Ball's iron crown and says and throws it into the crowd and says last one standing is the new boss so it creates a diversion for the rest of the demons and they they end up going back through the portal and molly and onyx let it close and that was other than you know wrapping up and and um you know uh farewells and that sort of thing that was pretty much the end of it yeah uh, the end of that. Remind me once we're done, done with everything, because there's a little bit more left to go to bring that topic back up. Because I have a theory. Okay, and so then, uh, essentially, uh, the the big thing about this was though that Rachel was essentially going on trial, and that happened after these incidences, and uh, but Lorelai and Alex both accompany her onto holy ground, which is painful for Lorelai. And she stands trial for revealing herself to a mortal, which she didn't have a choice in, but uh, having sex with him, which she did have a choice in. And uh, she is stripped of her guardian status, as she kind of assumed she would be. But she is also given the guardianship of Seattle. So it is taken from her old, um, her old boyfriend, Vincent and given to Rachel. So it elevates her in power instead of making her a messenger or whatever. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where we left things. Uh, and out with Alex and, and Lorelai and Rachel all kind of in a relationship with one another. Also, I want to, I want to point out because this will tie into my theory that I mentioned is, um, Lydia was still alive. They found her, um, skulking in the back of the mansion. Um, they stun gunned her and put her out of commission, but she also was put on trial on Holy ground with, um, Rachel and Vincent basically gave her, what was it? A hundred years or was it a thousand? Yeah. Whatever, whatever length it, it was a long time, a hundred yeah. years, thousand years that she was going to be happy, not able to come back to the mortal realm. Right. So he essentially banished her back to hell. Um, now, with everything kind of wrapped up, I'll say my theory. Um, when Lorelai put on the crown, and she came in, and all the little, the little jobber demons were like, Lady Lorelai, Lady Lorelai. And then she put up her hand and then tossed the crown into the crowd, saying, like, listen, whoever, like you said, whoever's last man standing is now the new boss in charge. She said... And I don't remember how this came up, but she said when whoever wears that crown, all bonds are broken. Yep. So my theory is, is that since she put on the crown, her bond is now broken with 
Alex. And since Lydia was banished to hell, I have a feeling Lydia is going to become the new big boss of hell, and we're going to see more of her in the future. Now, granted, I'm going to say like something like hell time works different than mortal time, and that's why we'll see her in the future, because obviously if it was on the same timeline, we wouldn't see Lydia again, um, at least with Alex in his current life right now. But I'm going to say hell works a little differently, and it's a little faster, and that that Lydia is going to become the new big bad, and we're going to see her again because of that crown. All right. Um, okay, so, uh, anything additional from you, Roar? I mean, I've got, um, just one point I think is kind of subliminal is, um, they mentioned uh, when they kill Rob, the the first demon, the minor demon, what was his name? Rob something. Uh, yeah, the greed demon. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, they, they said, oh, you know, you've done a lot of good, you know, no mortal's done this in, like, more than a thousand years. Um, you, it, you know, you haven't killed a Duke of Hell or anything, but you've definitely like, made some definite strides. And then, like, within a week, because the period of this book is only, like, two weeks, um, within a week he's basically killed the minor demon and then the second in charge, Harrow, and then a Duke of Hell. He's because of his actions, basically three major demons have been slaughtered. Um, and then all these other demons are fighting, killing each other down, down there. I think you're on the money cat. I feel like Lydia is going to be a new Duke of hell or something's going to happen there. I feel like, um, they'll introduce the other Duke. Uh, what's his name? Not Baal. The other one, Belial. Belial. I think he's going to probably come back in some capacity. Um, I think your theory works out as if the if the Iron Crown grants power. I could be completely wrong about that, but you know they made it a point to saying that like if it it breaks all previous bonds. Yeah, and, and I think and that's she a, I don't know. Albeit, I don't like, know if she. Yeah, sorry, okay. you go. I was just gonna say, albeit it was a short time, she did wear it and she did put it on so and it it wasn't specified but that's why it's saying it's a theory a theory but i i do think her bond to alex is now broken because she put on that crown well and she I does think- actually mention this right when she says if i became the duke of hell my bond would be broken to you and no matter because of my nature no matter how much i loved you i would have used you to my own ends that's what she actually says that a little bit later and that's the reason why she chose not to be the Duke of Hell. I mean, so that that might be the only... I mean, she might be lying about it. Because if she did put it on her head and she did become the Duke, then her bond is broken and then she would use the circumstance to her own. But then I imagine if she did lie about that, there's no way she would have been able to uh, stand in the church. Because after that, she goes into the church with with Rachel and she's able to stand there without lies, even though it's painful. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not saying that she, she lied to become the Duke. I, I fully believe that she threw it away and doesn't want to become the Duke. But the only thing I'm saying is just her bond to Alex is broken. And that yeah. I think she's keeping up the facade that it isn't broken just for her, 
own nefarious reasonings. I don't okay. I don't know what her end is because she did a lot of le- like tricksy stuff behind Alex's back. Yeah. But, but I do think there is a reason why and somehow her bond to him being broken is is relevant. So let me ask you a question. So I know the answers to your questions because I've read all of the books. I know you do. But I'm not I'm not going to say. But the uh, did she actually wear the crown or only hold it aloft? I thought she held it aloft. I didn't think she placed it on her head. I thought she had held it above her head and she had the decision to do it, but she opted not. I remember her putting it on. And that's why all the little demon jobbers were saying Lady Lorelai is because the crown was atop her head. Okay. Uh, that's uh, there's a there's an important distinction. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, this just reminds me of the whole Trent Calamac from the other club. <laughs> it's like, what is Trent? Well, I know the answer, but I'm not telling you. It's just like, oh, you know, uh-huh. I, I full well know you know the answer to this wind, and that's why yeah. I'm saying my speculations and theories. Yeah, well, then I'll say mine. I think she held it aloft of her head, right? And I think that by taking the crown, you gain power. So I think I think that the reason why Lydia was able to stand in the church without basically smoldering up and dying, bursting into flames like Rob did, he, she had gained enough power where she's beyond it. And so, Kat, I think you might be right, whether the bond is broken or not, I think that's relevant. I think she's now so powerful that she can now make the decisions beyond that. Um, I don't think she would willingly want to break the bond with, with Alex because I think she sees it as a protection for herself. Um, and she's changing her, her, the nature of her like demoniness is changing. Um, and, I would put do you think on it that you, she's developing genuine love for him. Do you think right. that? Correct. Okay. I think she's actually developing well, no, I think she's either developing love for him or the spell that grants her the pleasures of that also grant her the feelings of the master. So I, it might be that both Rachel and Lorelai are only feeling Alex's love towards them and not the other way around. They okay. think it's love in return, but it is love towards them. All right, uh, I could be completely wrong with with Lorelai and her bond being broken to Alex. That's kind of like half of my theory, but I fully well believe we'll we will see Lydia in a more powerful state in the future. Okay, yeah. just so well, you... well, it makes sense because there's five books, right? And you can't write five books sort where it's of. basically the same thing where you have a a succubus. It would just be boring, right? Yeah. So maybe you're right, Cat. So, just so you know, uh, there are five books. However, um, one of them they list as 2.5. And that is actually a book more about Molly and Onyx instead of, oh. uh, instead of Alex. I'll, hold my poodle. I'm downloading 2.5. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, the um, – uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll stop with speculations there. Uh, I will I will say this though, at the end of the first book, before I had read the rest, 
I was on board with Kat's assumption that Lydia is going to be uh, mm. more powerful and come back. When I was at the end of book one, I'm not going to say if that came true or not. I, I was kind of in the same boat, though. So Yeah, I feel I feel that Lydia's isn't over because they actually do mention that they say, you know, you've you've she's because she's been imprisoned in hell for a bit. They're like, you know, it's basically going to she's basically been sent home as a punishment. And then they say, well, no, hell's not a nice place. We haven't spent time there on purpose. And it's even worse now that it's in chaos. That everyone's basically it's a battle royale for the crown that it's going to be even like a terrible place to be. So, I mean, if she does end up getting the crown, which I think is highly probable, like what you guys are saying, it's she's going to come out badass. When, she, when Lydia comes out the other side, she is going to be a proper pain in the ass. To me, it just felt like Vincent's decision of banishment was more of a slap on a wrist than it was a punishment. It's just like, oh, no, you've done bad things. Okay, go back home for about, like, 100 years, which to them could be, like, 10 hours or something. I don't know. But, and I fully well believe that she's smart enough to use this chaos to her Mm. advantage. So that's why I'm saying, like, she's going to come out better for this. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, though, they couldn't do anything because angels and demons can't upset the balance. I agree with that. That so, I think that that decision was based more in balance keeping. That's right. So, I mean, if Alex had basically dragged her to the church and and said, yep, kill her now, they could have done it. But because that wasn't done, they have to basically do it within the regu- regulatory parameters. All right. Let's get to ratings. <laughs> so we use the uh i don't know how many people out there uh know this but there is a uh a group called jello apocalypse and they developed a rating system for movies on a 10 scale uh one being a garbage movie in this case garbage book uh and don't ever see it two slightly less terrible um might have been one thing that i liked two is pretty much the same but doesn't hurt to watch it four is mediocre so that's the first like average rating five is an average in this case book. It was fine. Feel like you could have done something better with your time. Six is one that you enjoyed, but you don't have any interest in seeing again. Seven, you enjoyed it and would rewatch it, but not actively seeking it out. Most of it was really good, but had some noteworthy flaws. Eight is solid, entertaining, uh, movie in this case book, uh, maybe even great nine, an awesome, movie a movie that you need a sequel for and 10 everyone should go see it it does something with its story or um in this case filmmaking that um, everyone needs to see not a perfect movie but it's a must see for one reason or another so let's rate the author with the jello apocalypse scale uh originality of the story uh or not their originality, their use of prose, their uh, description of sex scenes, all that. What do you think? Pat? Um, the... Hmm. Okay, the author. Okay, I gotta... I gotta take away some of you. I'm not taking away points, I just gotta... I gotta separate, like, the plot and the characters and just just the author. Um, it's definitely, 
I'm going to say probably an eight. I really enjoyed her writing style. Like I said, the transitions were a little janky at times, and it was very long chapters. Um, I'm reserving holding going back to a seven if the future and the future books are pretty much the same as book one. Kind of like what Roar said, like if it's all the future books become just book one again, then it's going to get a little boring. But for a first book, it was good. All right. Where you go now? Wins. Yeah, go ahead. All right. I go halfway. You just said her as the author. It's a him. I go halfway through. Yeah, I go halfway through this book. I'd recommended after three, uh, chapter three, I'd actually recommended this book to two people, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be this is going to be solid. <laughs> this is going to be proper solid. It's a bit saucy. Um, worth, worth 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 a listen." Then when I got halfway through, right. I read a review, which I'm just about to read to you, and I think it's right on the money. But before I read the review, I was like, this book is written by, and I apologize to the author if they ever read this, but I was like, by a white guy simp who is writing his fantasy. I Googled it, and I was like, this guy legit is writing his own fantasy. Um, I liked the book, and I think, I mean, for those who are listening to this podcast, to understand me a little bit, I don't reread books. So in order for it to get an eight and above for a book is probably really low for me. No matter the book, I probably wouldn't reread it. There's very maybe two or three book series that would be in that eight and above area. And I watch a lot of a shit ton of seasonal anime, which is super, super boring. So I'm happy with a like really dry read that I'll never rewatch again. I rate this book probably somewhere between a five and a six. So six being something that you enjoyed, but you don't have any interest in seeing it again. Um, it'd probably sit there. And the only reason why is I think that this book needs to be rewritten. I think the storyline and the premise is really good, but I think, as you said, the jarriness and that kind of thing, did it make it a really great audiobook from that perspective like audiobooks need to be written in a way that when you jump to sh- chapter to chapter you've got to have a slow intro because you can't read like chapter five and then you go into it and then it, it's kind of more like a, a verbal story so if you're not taken through that in the same way it can lose a little bit of its impact and i felt that that's what took away from this i mean it was saucy but then because it was so saucy it kind of like got boring towards the end I'm sorry, in the middle, but I loved the whole storyline around everything that happened with um, all the non-sex scenes was actually had a pretty good storyline and plot to it. So I did enjoy that. Yep, I'll agree. Before we go to you, Wind, do you want me to read this review? uh, uh, How long is it? It's pretty quick. All right, go ahead. Okay. Um. So the review said, it felt like the fantasy of a geek considers himself a nice guy and that gets rewarded continuously by attractive women throwing themselves at him. The moral of the story feels that the nice guys finish first and that you have all of the women and you get to eat it too. So I think that means the cake. If you like cheesy pornos, Joss Whedon and Twilight, then this might be your jam. Um, I'm all about the polyamory, the bisexual, the Spartan, the fantasy, but this felt unrealistic. And that's probably where I was at as well. I was like, well, I understand the premise of the succubus, but I was like, basically, it's just about bisexual poly, this whole thing. And then there's some storyline on the side. And that's what kind of like detracted away from it a little bit from me. 
But I mean, like, it's still a great book. I would still recommend it. I mean, if they tightened up some of the storyline in between, I reckon it would probably be an eight. All right. So, um, on, on this scale and just rating the author, once again, not the, not the rereadability or not the overall experience of the book or anything, just the author, I'm giving it a four. Um, I, I might be persuaded to go up to a five and say it was average, that it was fine. Um, you know what? I will, I'll say, I'll say it's a five. Um, I, I didn't, the writing was simple for me. Uh, it is a first book. Okay. Uh, and I think this is one of, uh, their first books, um, that they published, but, uh, I just, uh, while, um, you know, I, I can certainly rate other aspects of the book much higher, strictly speaking from the author and their, their use of prose and that sort of thing. I think that it was, uh, fairly mediocre. So I'll say it's a five. Um, even though four is mediocre, five is average. It was fine. Feel like could have done something better with your time. Uh, that's kind of the way I felt about his writing overall. Um, okay. For the story. Plot, pacing, that sort of thing. Cat? Uh, I'm going to give it a 7. Um, I thought the story was really good. I was being entertained with all the sex scenes and the non-sex scenes. I didn't really get bored. I was getting a little tired of it, but I wasn't getting bored of it towards the end. I would think by the time I was getting tired of it was when the plot actually happened. And it kind of reinvigorated me back into mm. the story, um, but you know, it's, it's like Roar said, you know, if the if the the later on books are pretty much going to be the same as book one, then I'll probably get a little tired of it. All right, Roar. Yeah, I mean, like this fits into a, I, you understand where I'm coming at now. Like, I think the pacing and all of that. If they tightened up the middle section again, it would be a bit stronger. I mean, I like the premise of the story. Um, I felt that the pacing was a little bit slow towards the middle. As I said before, I'd probably rate this around about a six still as well. But in saying that again, if it was rewritten and made a little bit punchier and I, again, kudos to the first book, I couldn't have done anywhere near as good as this, but I would probably rate it a six. All right. And I'm going to say it was five. Um, the reason that it comes down for me is the middle bit that you guys have brought up several times. Um, I thought it started out great. I thought it finished strong and there was a, I think that they could have cut five hours out of the middle of it and still done it right if they would have tightened things up. So, um, that's, that's my, um, but as far as far as the uh, the plot of the book, um, that that brings it up for me. Um, it, it's it's the pacing and um, how kind of I guess unkempt I felt like the book was that brings it back down. Um, mm. I thought it was I thought it was a, a great story, uh, but it was just um, not as well executed as it should have been. All yeah, right, I feel that if it had a like this is where you, if you have a really gun editor, someone who can like tighten the storyline up like this up, you could turn, you know, a five or a six into a, a seven or an eight. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. 
So, uh, okay, the main characters. So, uh, you know, Alex's crew, uh, Rachel, Lorelai, Molly, Onyx, um, Alex himself. Um, what do you think on, on them as far as, um, you know, your relatability to them, the believability of them, that sort of thing? You know, how did, how did they hit you? Um, well, since you roped in, um, Alex's crew and all them in the main characters, I would consider them more like side characters. But since you said they're main characters, I would say they're about like a five. I didn't really feel much connectivity towards them more, more like, um, I mean, it was, there was some moments where like, it was convenient that Wade was in the military and that he had some of the experience he did. But then you got to remember, like, these are like college, early college kids. They're all 19. They can't drink. They, they, they're very young. And some of the things they're doing is just like, it doesn't seem like something a normal 19 year old would do. Um, That being said, I think if it was just like Alex and Lorelai and Rachel, and if it was just them, I would rate it a little bit higher because they had a little bit more development um, and that. But, you know, since you're roping everyone, I, w- I would say it's more average. I wasn't blown away by the, any of the characters. All right. Aura? I mean, Lorelai, I'd probably rate her character around about eight. I found her solid mainly because she had, like, epic backstories. And I think that's... I love depth. That's why I like things like Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. And I found that Lorelai like had a little bit more like mystery to her. Um, same with Lydia. They had like a little bit more mystery. Onyx, great. She was a solid character, probably like a seven or an eight. Um, the, the, the crew that you mentioned, a solid four. I think they weren't relatable. I don't think they were strong characters. I found them quite... I I mean, we didn't even remember one of their names because it was kind of like Drew, Wade, Alex, Jason. They kind of always like, they're just kind of like one kind of the same person elongated out. I just, they felt like they were, you probably could have had two friends there and then made them a little bit more compelling rather than having like three or four of them and having them mediocre. But that's, that's how I felt about them. All right, so um, I feel like, uh, yeah, if you split it up between uh, Alex, Rachel, and Lorelai, uh, I, I would say uh, I was a seven with them. With uh, the rest of the of the, you know, maybe if you want to call them side characters, they were still pretty well involved in the plot, though. Um, Wade was the only one of them that I really related to at all. Uh, I think that he actually had a personality. and He was the one that stood out the most out of all yeah. his, the other, his friends. Wade was like the only one I remembered, the only voice I could recognize, the only like personality, like you said. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. but No, it's good. The, the, I mean, the rest were all just kind of like, like the three male friends of Alex, they all just kind of like faded into one. Like we, like Roar said, we didn't even remember the one. Like, I don't even remember which one was living next to Alex. I don't know if that was Jason or... or It was Jason. Or, yeah. But, like, Wade just... He was, the, the like, the sore thumb. He just stuck out of out of the rest of them for me. 
And, uh, but yeah, so, uh, I would say, um, you know, uh, a four or five for, uh, the group of friends, um, probably four, if it wasn't for Wade, I wouldn't even consider a five. Uh, and then, um, yeah, but I think that, uh, I'm giving an eight to, uh, Alex, Lorelai and, and Rachel. Mm-hmm. I thought they were well-developed enough and, and different enough from one another that it was interesting. Can I add food for thought on this? It's just something I thought of just now. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to relatability, actually. If you're writing about three college students, then they probably are going to be mediocre, you know, because you've already got Wade, who's kind of like different because he's, he's the one who went to the military, right? Then you've got Alex, who's extraordinary. And then so if you've got two other friends in the mix, they're more likely to be just mediocre because, I mean, you're talking about teenage college students, right? They're, they're probably just carbon copies of their friends. Yeah, I mean, probably, we don't fair. want to read a book about it, but, I mean, if you're talking about true-to-life relatability, it's probably yeah. spot on. All right, good enough. Uh, then, uh, then, then I will bump it up and say that it's a five. All right. <laughs> How's that? Um, yeah, done. All right, so um, so let's talk about the narrator, Tess Irondale. I can go first. I can go first. Nope, me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. <laughs> All right. There's – I thought she was excellent. So I would rate her between the 8 and 10 realm. And as far as female narrators go, I think she's probably in the top two. And – Listening to it, I thought she was like really good, very compelling. Voices were great. I felt the only voice that she let me down on was the Britney voice. I felt that her bimbo voice was the same for everybody. And I mean, like, fair enough. If you have it, if you're trying to put bimbo through, then you're going to have the same voice for it. But I, I felt that her her narration actually made this book. This is what made it really good. I think she's only second to Lorelai King. All right. What do you think, Kat? Uh, this is where I, my inexperience in uh, entertainment shows, because I, I thought she was good, but you know, it's not like, oh, there's this one, you know, um, narrator that sticks out to me. Like the guy who did game of Thrones, well, like he was really good. Um, but it was just like, I, I thought she was just another voice actor, actress. Um, she was, she was good. I didn't see much flaws. Uh, like I said, the only time I had trouble recognizing characters was with um, Alex's friends, uh, mainly because I honestly I didn't really bother to remember their names aside from Wade. Um, so it was just with that I, I'd, I'd give it a, a, a seven, a really good seven. Um, I could be convinced to an eight, but you know that just that's just my inexperience with entertainment. Well, that's actually a, a good side to come. Uh, from also so my my opinion is uh, i mean i've i've listened to dozens and dozens and dozens of audiobooks and my opinion on this is while the little kid in me still likes having stories read to me and it certainly is a more efficient use of my commuting time um a really great voice actor can take a good book or even a bad book and elevate it can't make a shitty book great but it can elevate a book. The problem is the flip side of that, where you have a really, really good book and a terrible narrator, 
that can completely ruin it for you. Whereas you could mm. you could get through a book if you were reading print, listening to someone's voice who grates on you or is monotone or anything like that. It's just it, it's too much of a slog, and I can't deal with it. So uh, in that in that vein, I think Tess Irondale did a incredible job with this book. Um, first of all, I love the timbre of her voice. I I could listen to her read a phone book and go, "Wow, that's pretty cool." <laughs> and uh, so her voices, as far as different character voices, Lorelai King's got her beat, hands down. Uh, mm. because, uh, when Lorelai King does the Mercy Thompson books, I don't even need to know which wolf is speaking or which character is speaking to know which character mm. is speaking because her voices are just so spot on. Tess reuses. We actually spoke about this with Lorelai King, um, because there's one book where they have to change the voice actor because it's told from a different context and they don't want you to know who the characters are. That's it's, that's right. Her voice is so good. So at it. distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, Wind. No, no, that's fine. That's that's exactly my point. Her voices are so spot on. You don't need to, the flavor text to tell you who's speaking. You just know because of the voice. Tess is very much that way with a f- few of the characters. Certainly the main characters. Uh, Rachel bleeds into Lorelai and vice versa. Vice versa once in a while, but for the most part, very distinctive. She just doesn't have as as many voices, so she has to reuse them for more characters. Um, but having said that, yeah, like I said, I could listen to her read a phone book. I think her voice is very furry. Mm. I kind of want to spoon with her vocal cords. Yeah, that kind of thing. So um, I'm going to say that it was a 9. Um, I think Lorelai King is a 10, and because mm. I don't think that this was as good of a performance, I'm saying it's a 9. Um, yeah, but this is the thing. I don't know if it's because of the nature of the writing of the book or because of her. I would love to listen to to Tess Irondale with a different book. Well, I have some suggestions. Okay, love <laughs> so, it. Uh, and, and on that, Kat, if you want a really good suggestion to anchor you to a bad narrator, listen to the in- so go into Audible and and listen to the intro of the Dune book and oh listen to that. It is horrendous. Um, yes, it is. I listened to a book. I listened to a book, a business book once. I can't remember the name of it, but it literally sounded like it was being read by Barney from The Simpsons, um, <laughs> okay. which was really hard when it's business. Um, but if you also listen to the intro of Moon Called by Laurel Like King, you can kind of get an anchor of like another really great uh, female actress. And if you want a good male one, um, uh, Stephen Fry does Harry Potter. Um, and I would highly recommend that you just listen, even just the intro to the Harry Potter one, because Stephen Fry also does like Little Big Planet and is an excellent voice actor. You know who actually did a really good job and surprised me was Will Wheaton, Wesley Crusher from Star Trek: The Next Generation. He did uh, voice work for Ready Player One, and it was solid. I was surprised, um, but he's not my favorite male voice actor. Here, here's here's the thing: I think that female voice actors, if they're really good can do passable male voices. I think even mm. good male voice actors sometimes have difficulty with female voices. Yep. Uh, they so, all sound like old women. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, uh, but anyway, uh, I think that Tess Irondale, like you said, 
this book would not have been as good for me as it was if it, if she hadn't been the one reading it. Hmm. So, um, all right. So overall enjoyment of the book. Where are you, Kat? Give, give me a nine. <laughs> Despite <laughs> all of it, I really enjoyed the book. And I think I, I was the first one of us three to finish. And that was like two weeks ago. Um, I put it on just to like kind of get ahead of schedule because I was the last to finish with Dead Witch Walking. Um, so I didn't want to be last this time, but I started it. And uh, next thing you know, I finished it. And you were like, you got uh, into chapter two and you're like, damn, when's a twist, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's he got me into? I mean, I mean, you said there was a lot of sex going on, but uh, it's just like you, 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 you sugarcoated it. <laughs> Well, uh, okay. I, overall, I I really did enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a ten because I know not not everyone is into this kind of stuff. Um, and I like like I wouldn't I don't have anyone to recommend it to. Like if I would recommend it, it would be you guys. But you recommended it to me. But I I just I really enjoyed it. It was it. It kept me enthralled. It kept me going. You know, I really just enjoyed going out, buddy. Yeah, kept going out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I listened to it at work, so I had a lot of breaks because people. Well, this was definitely headphones. a not suitable for work book. <laughs> no, I had headphones and everything, but you know, that's the only time I can listen to audio stuff is at work. That's when I listen to like podcasts and the books you recommend is at work. So I really you, didn't when, have much of a choice. When you say you had a lot of breaks, are we talking about breaks from the book or breaks from work? Breaks from work. <laughs> uh, I need a oh, job shit. more like yours. Um, all right, Roar. So we got a we got a nine from Cat. I mean, look, I cracked a boner on a pl- on a flight next to. <laughs> Fairly large um, <laughs> Egyptian guy. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, it was somewhat enjoyable. Um, however, I think they're on the on the scale, if we're talking about the Jellapox rating scale, it would be a six for me. Like, I enjoyed it, um, but I have no interest in rereading it. I mean, and I'd probably give it caveats unless it was rewritten. I mean, if it was rewritten and read by Tess Irondale, then I would probably say, yep, I think the sauciness was great. I uh, had really cool saucy light and great imagination to it all, and I thought it was really good. Um, but, I mean, bisexual poly does get repetitive. Sure. Uh, and uh, in that vein, I'm going to say, when I first read it, I was with Kat, and I'm like, holy crap, this is like one of the most, um, you know, erotic books that I've ever read as far, because they just didn't pull punches. Uh, however, uh, after, uh, time and distance and a reread, I'm going to say that it was a seven. I enjoyed it. I would read it again. And obviously I did. Um, and then, but I'm not actively seeking it out. It's not one that I reread every year. So, uh, I, I say it's a solid seven, despite giving it lower ratings for, uh, many of the aspects of the book, I think everything combined, I enjoyed it and I had mm. fun. So, um, that's, uh, that's I mean, kind of where I, I am. would not recommend anybody to read this at work. I mean, if you want, if you want to <laughs> spice up your, uh, your responses or how you deal with people, or if you've got a partner you want to like do a little good dank with or something like that, then I would, I would recommend listening to this book. 
because it puts you it puts you in a certain mind frame, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, so here's the here's the question: Would you recommend it to a friend? Uh, I would because I did. And Kat, you said you would, but you would recommend it to us, and we recommended it to you. What would you, would you recommend it to? I know that you did after you were partway through it, but having finished it, would you recommend it to those same friends, Roar? Well, so I actually recommended it, and then some of my friends said, how the book going? And when I got to the middle, I was like, look, you know, probably would retract it. It's pretty boring. But now that I've read the end of it, I would actually say, look, I would recommend it, but I would probably say, you know, um, I would probably give it caveats. And so if I had a different book with like a similar vein, I would probably recommend that above this book. So if I, so for example, if I were doing this for versus the one that we had done previously for this book review, which was the dead, Witch walking, I would recommend it, Witch walking over this one. And I think that's what Kat was saying before. There's a certain type of clientele where you would recommend this to. I don't think you would go and recommend this book to your boss. <laughs> like, it's got a certain audience. I think my boss needs this book recommended to him. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should then. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Well, um, do we know what we're reading next, or are we just going to post that in the Discord? I mean, I kind of want to flip-flop back and forth, you know, from the, hmm. the first series and then come back to this series. But... There's like what twenty twenty odd books in the first one, you said, or was it sixteen? Oh, you're talking about the Mercy Thompson books. Yeah, the Mercy Thompson books. There's, you said there's a lot of there, and there's only four, technically five, of this um, of this one. Yeah. So, um, so my my preference is that I, my my real answer is I don't care. Um, however, there's a lot more books to, uh, a lot more good series to give you introductions to, if you guys are interested in doing that too. Um, yeah. I mean, I would, I'm probably going to read book two of this one. I mean, that's probably a good thing. Are you going to read the next one in the series? I mean, yes, I'm going to read the next one. I probably would, would read the sequel to dead, Witch walking first. And the new Mercy Thompson um, book has just been released, which I think is called Soul Taken. Soul Taken. Which about I'm three hours from going done. to listen. Uh, I'm, I'm three hours away from being done with it. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I've just started that I'm on chapter three, I think. So, I mean, I'm going to listen to that one first. So I would recommend we actually do a content switch. You recommend previously uh, Super Sales and Superheroes. That was. And I think. So it's an empire building. It's also what they call lit RPG. So uh, it's full on game mechanics uh, written into the book. So like in this case, the main character can pull up stat sheets on people and see what their strength score is and their right. all of that. Okay. So it is lit RPG and it's empire building. Uh, also kind of haremish, but not uh, not in the way this uh, this book was. It is um, you know. Because uh, the main character is acquiring more and more people, you kind of have a harem aspect, but it's not like that he's screwing all of them. So, um, but it, uh, it is it is actually a very good series. So, if you guys are interested in super sales, we can certainly do that. And if we're going into a completely different book, 
and and not continuing these ones i have a recommendation as well it's not urban fantasy it's um it's a thriller um it's one of my favorite authors authors is ted decker and the book is called three i that's like when i was in school and they're like hey you need to start reading books and like take quizzes on them for to increase your grade score i delve deep into ted decker and he does have some fantasy books as well they're not urban fantasy but ted decker was my jam and the only book that stood out to me through all these years and it's my only book recommendation is three oh is it on audible yes it's on audible i've listened to it twice on audible since then Uh, done yeah let's okay let's just do that for our next one done and so we're listening to three by ted decker do we know what the um who, who the narrator is um, give me about two seconds and I'll pull it up. Okay. Just because sometimes I know that there can be multiple books on it. Do, do, do. I mean, multiple narrators. Okay. Uh, Are you going to read the sequel to this to this book? So when I say this book, I mean the Good Intentions book too. Uh, absolutely. I don't <laughs> care if we're doing a podcast about it or not. But I'm Natural Consequences, I believe, is the name of it. I'm I'm finishing this series, whether you guys like it or not, or we're, if we're doing a podcast on it, great. If not, I'm I'm gonna finish this series because I I want to see it to the end. Okay, so well, if you, yeah, I'm keen. Yeah, um, to do a podcast on it. Yeah, that's fine. The narrator for three is Rob Lamont. Rob, L A M A O N T. L A M O N T. Yes, and okay. it's only ten hours and thirty minutes. Beautiful. Yep. I'll, uh, so let's plan on that one for our next podcast, and um, we'll. Um, and then if we if we end up coinciding on sequels for some of these that we've already started, then we can we can cast those two. Love it. If you guys want, I can give a little snippet of what three is about, so you know what it is. Yeah, go. Um, it's it's a thriller. I'll say that much. Um, and it's basically there's. Um, a, a serial killer on the loose called the Riddle Killer, and he calls the main character, who is, I believe his name is Kevin. Um, and this is how the book starts: is he just calls him up and he gives him a riddle, and if you don't have three minutes to figure out the riddle, your car's gonna explode. And throughout the whole book, the Riddle Killer is just harassing Kevin. All right. So we will we'll we'll get on to that one. We need to wrap this up. We are two minutes away from two hours. Oh geez. <laughs> so, yeah, next time we're cutting this to a one hour. Yeah, it has to be. All right. Uh, yes. so uh we had a lot to cover. Anything else? No, from anybody? All right. Well then guys, uh thanks for carving two hours out of your day and uh going over good intentions with me. Um, glad you both enjoyed it. Glad you're both interested in uh, doing the rest of the series. And uh, until our next book report, uh, this is Wind and Cat and Roar, and we'll all talk to you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.